All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, the General Assembly has adjourned sine die, which according to Mark Twain means that for a brief period of time, your life, liberty, and property is now safe. However, we didn't actually really adjourn for the rest of the year. It turns out we have to go into a special session because of the budget. But what I want to do today is do a quick once over the world with respect to what happened in Virginia and did Republicans live up to their word that they made on the campaign trail? All that coming up on this episode of Making the Argument, when we make the arguments to defend a free society. All right, in proper Clint Eastwood fashion, we're going to go through this from the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, there's a lot of legislation that goes through in a 60-day session. About 2,000 pieces were submitted just from the House of Delegates alone. Not even talking about those filthy aristocrats over there in the Senate. Just kidding to all my colleagues over in the Senate, but not really. Let's go through some of the good things that happened. So these are some of the bills that, that went through that we were able to get um, sent to the governor's desk or are still alive, which is to say that because the budget hasn't been finalized yet, some of these bills, which have a fiscal impact, um, there, there's, still, there's still negotiation taking place. I'll put it that way. We're going to have to go back into special session to actually vote on the budget when this is all done. But the big question that everyone has is, all right, Governor Yunkin, Lieutenant Governor Winsom Sears, uh, Attorney General Jason Mieras, the Republican General Assembly, or the House of Delegates, we ran on certain things during election year. Did we make good on our promises with respect to the things that we were going to do, like the grocery tax, like regulations, like school choice, like protecting your Second Amendment rights, right? Did we do these things or not. Well, the most important thing to remember is, once again, we're a constitutional republic here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, just like the United States as a whole is, and there are rules and separations of power. So while the Republicans did win the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and while we did take back the House of Delegates, we still have a Democrat-controlled Senate. So you can imagine what happened through most of this General Assembly session. We got a lot of good things passed through the Virginia House of Delegates. When I got over to the Senate, a lot of it ended up dying. But not everything. So let's go over some of the good first. One, it looks like the grocery tax is going to go through and get signed into law. So the repeal of the grocery tax. Now, the big argument over this was a portion of the grocery tax is used for like local road construction and things of that nature. And so the question was, is there, was there going to be some other mechanism within the budget to make sure that that funding to the localities and things like that was still uh, available? That's a negotiation that's still going on. But it does look like the grocery tax is either going to be completely eliminated or significantly reduced. Again, the hope here is completely limited. We'll see what happens with the final budget negotiations, but that was one of the good things that, again, Republicans campaigned on and delivered on. All right, let's go through some of the others. I got my list here. Um, 
All right, so one of the things that, again, we were able to do because we have a Republican governor and because we have a Republican House of Delegates is that there was some anti-gun bills that were put up this year, and all of those ended up dying in, in fact, the subcommittee that I chaired, which is the Public Safety Subcommittee 1. So all the bills that were trying to cut into your Second Amendment rights, those were killed. We also had some good bills that managed to get through, and we'll talk about those here in a second. But again, typical thing happened over in the Senate. Um, the other thing that happened within uh, the Public Safety Committee was we got Operation Ceasefire, which is kind of the Republican response that we see to some of the violence going on and basically going after the people that are committing the violence, not after law-abiding citizens, um, you know, again, putting the emphasis in the proper place. Let's stop the crime. Let's start the criminal activity. Let's not harm law-abiding citizens by restricting their individual liberties. Uh, higher education. We had some successes on education. Uh, there's some work going on with lab schools right now. Uh, this is kind of a form of school choice, but, but ultimately it's still working within the current system. We'll get to some of the other school choice bills that were able to pass the House. But uh, we, we did have some, some victories within education, but you know, no, nowhere near as many as we would like. Uh, some of the positive things that did end up happening within uh, education is we got some things in there for veterans. So for instance, right now, if you're in the military, you get out of the military and you're trying to go into higher education. We're basically requiring higher ed to go through and do a better job of mapping the skill sets that you got within the military through training, through credentialing, through experience, uh, through education, et cetera, and then properly mapping those to degree programs. So you're not showing up like some of my friends did and saying, hey, I went to ranger school and higher ed says that's adorable, here's a PE credit, when really that's more of a managerial school. So we try to do a better job on that. We also passed some more transparency prior education to make it easier for parents to be able to see what schools are actually doing within the Commonwealth of Virginia and then actually comparing them one another so you can actually make a good informed decision. Uh, another bill with respect to education that was a hot topic during the campaign season had to do with various discriminatory practices which were taking place in places like Thomas Jefferson, right? This was a, this was a school where it, it was so bad what the Democrats ended up doing. It was so bad that a federal judge came down and basically said that it was obvious that they had used a discriminatory policy within that public school system in order to discriminate against Asian students. Right, and these are, this is one of the things that Republicans came out and said, hey, look, we should, we should be basing this off of merit. If we have students that need some additional help when they're in elementary school, middle school, great, let's get them the additional help. But when it comes time to go to a school like Thomas Jefferson, those students which have the grades should be the ones that are selected to go to it. And it was, again, the, the policies that were put in place, it was a federal judge that came down and said that it was obvious they were put in place in order to discriminate against Asian students. You can't do that. And when Republicans carried this bill over on the Senate side, we actually got two Democrats in committee to agree with us. And there was this interesting conversation between two Democrats and the Democrats said, well, you know, that's your opinion. And the other guy came back and said, uh, no, it's not my opinion. It was the ruling of a federal judge that this was put in place and it was discriminatory. So we, we need to pass, we need to you know, reiterate that we're not going to discriminate against people based off of their race or eth their ethnicity when they're trying to get into a public school. And so that managed to pass through both the House and the Senate. That was a big victory, I think, for just you know, greater transparency within our school system. We had a, we had a lot of arguments on you know, what constitutes real choice. I got up there and I gave a floor speech on you know, why parents want greater choice within our public education system. And a Democrat got up and said, oh, well, that was a nice you know, campaign speech, a nice fact-free speech. But you got tons of choices within public school. There's lab schools and there's governor schools. Okay, here's what's so disingenuous about that particular argument. That's essentially saying that 
If you are given options within a government-controlled system, therefore you have choice. I mean, this reminds me of the old saying that the Romans create a desert and call it peace. Well, apparently, Democrats give you options within a monopolized system they control and call it choice. No, we want greater choice in the hands of parents so that they can get the best education for their students. And unfortunately, every single bill that we had from, you know, charter schools, from uh, education savings accounts, like genuine school choice bills were shot down summarily in the Senate. So let's get to that because that was a, that was a critical issue going into this one. So those, those, some of the good, right? Grocery tax, we killed anti-gun bills. We got some more transparency within higher education. We, we reiterated that you know, Democrats are not allowed to discriminate against people based off of their ethnicity when they're applying to some of these uh, you know, things like governor schools um, and other schools like TJ. Here's some of the bad. Um, education savings accounts, which for, for me, that's when we start getting into genuine school choice, right? School choice is not just you having more government options. School choice is you being able to take the dollars assigned to your student, to your child, and being able to take those dollars to the educational institutions or the combination of educational institutions that work best for your child, right? That's what creates genuine choice within our education system, all right? We had a really hard time with that this year. I, I want to thank, because my, my Republican colleagues on the Education Committee all voted for one of the Education Savings Accounts bills we were able to get out and send over to the Senate, but it became very obvious very, very quickly that any substantive school choice bill was dead on arrival once it got over to the Senate. Again, we got some stuff on the periphery, uh, but we didn't get anything as close to what we wanted to get in the House. But here's the good news, all right? You now know that... Every member of the Republican House of Delegates voted for genuine school choice, right? They voted for education savings accounts. They voted for charter schools. They voted for the expansion of laboratory schools, right? They voted for these things. So now, theoretically, if we can get a Republican Senate in two years, right, then we can actually go back with these bills that the House has already voted for, and we can get those things through, and we can actually get genuine school choice in. But unfortunately, with a Democrat-controlled Senate, they have made it very, very clear they are not interested in genuine school choice. They're only interested in giving you options within the monopolized system that they like to control. All right, another bad one. Um, we passed a uh, bill within the House of Delegates to repeal red flag laws. Now, the media always likes to talk about these as like anti-suicide you know, suicide prevention bills, or these are just bills that are, are very, very limited in scope in order to go after people that represent a very clear and present danger to the community. That's not what red flag laws do. Red flag laws do is they pretty much violate not only your Second Amendment rights, but arguably they also uh, violate Fourth Amendment rights, Fifth Amendment rights, and they can also be severely used to curtail First Amendment rights. Because what it does is it gives a local magistrate, and just so we're clear, a local magistrate is not a, a judge in the traditional sense that we think, right? A local magistrate doesn't even have to pass the bar, right? It gives the ability of a local magistrate to issue an order where they can come and confiscate your firearms without you having ever committed a crime without ever been committed or, or uh, convicted of committing a crime. They can come, they can take your property, and they can hold it, and then you have to come back and prove your innocence. All right, so that's the problem with red flag laws, right? You can see how this could be used by mischievous, you know, um, government officials in order to target people they don't like for political reasons or whatnot. So we passed a bill in the House to repeal red flag laws. Every single Republican voted against it because, again, this is not just a violation of your Second Amendment rights. It's a violation of Fourth, Fifth, First Amendment rights, it's a violation of due process of law. This isn't the way we're supposed to be governing, right? So we got that passed, once again, died in the Senate. 
All right, so that's some of the bad that happened this year, along with, you know, again, um, you know, the school choice was really important to me this year, so it was so frustrating to see all of it die in the Senate. But it just goes back to, again, we're starting to see a change because the Democrats have always tried to run on this idea that they're pro-education when they're not pro-education, right? I'm sorry, they're not. What they are pro, and I'm not saying they're against education, what they're in favor of is a particular type of education which they as politicians ultimately control. They control the funding. They ultimately have to stay on things like curriculum because we're a Dillon Rule state. So the state can overrule the localities. Even though it's in the Constitution, in Virginia, the local school boards are supposed to have control. We have already seen how state legislatures, or how the state legislature has manipulated that process in order to push through their own agenda and their own political ideology. Right? And that's what they're in favor of. They don't, you can have options within this very, very narrow system which they control. And I think what we've also learned is when they talk about how pro-teacher they are, really? You think they're pro-teacher for the teacher that works at the parochial school? You think they're pro-teacher for the teacher that works at the homeschool co-op? You, you think they're pro-teacher who works in the public school, but it doesn't really like the teacher's union? No, no, no. They're, they're pro-teacher as long as you fall within the ideological spectrum that they approve of. If you fall outside of that, you get treated like the enemy, just like the rest of us do. And we saw that all through this cycle. We saw that all through the General Assembly session as we were having the debates on the floor. Anytime we talked about choice, anytime we talked about partying parents back in control, they would respond with, you're anti-public education. You can go look at my Twitter feed. Every time I talk about greater school choice, you're anti-public education. Let me tell you what I'm anti, all right, just so we're clear. What I'm anti is politicians controlling the education of children they will never meet. And that's what's so amazing about this entire argument, right, is that as, as a conservative, I am not trying to control the education of a liberal parent. If a liberal parent wants to educate their, their kids and, and they want to use curriculum that I might not agree with, they want to cover topics I might not agree with, fine, go for it. I just don't want you to force my kid. But see, that's not good enough for our Democrat colleagues. It's not good enough that they would be free to educate their children the way they want they have to be allowed to educate your children the way they want. And the moment you say, okay, well, fine, then let's have some competition within that model, their immediate response is absolutely not. So real quick, just so we're clear before we move on to our next category here, the people that are saying that their, their method of education is so good, so superior, that it's got to be tax-subsidized, mandatory for anybody that can't afford an alternative, and completely free from competition, are those the people you really want educating your children? The ones that want that kind of white-knuckled grip on your child's education, the moment you, you, you talk about any options that they don't control, they immediately get up and accuse you of being anti-teacher, anti-education. All right, it's, it's not who I want controlling my kid's education. And guess what? I don't want Republicans controlling my kid's education either. I want parents to be back in charge. I want parents to be able to work with teachers in order to get the best educational opportunities that work for a very diverse student body that we can't possibly micromanage from Richmond. And I want the other side to stop calling me anti-education because I don't agree with their particular approach to it. Again, I don't do that to them. Maybe I should start. Maybe that's the way this game is played. I certainly hope not. All right. So that was the good. That was the bad. Now we're going to go to the ugly. And I do mean ugly. Because we had a couple of bills that had gone to a subcommittee over on the Senate side and were docketed to be heard by the full committee and what docketed means is it goes on the list of bills to be heard for a particular day. And then all of a sudden, a couple days before, they were ripped off the docket. And we were told by the Senate chairman that they weren't even going to hear our bills. Weren't even going to hear them. 
And this caused something of a dust-up because the Senate done forgot that they were only in charge of one side of the building. They forgot that the Republicans were in charge, the House was in charge of the other side of the building. Now, we were hearing their bills. We were giving them a fair hearing in subcommittee and full committee, going to the floor. But all of a sudden, it was like, okay, fine. If you're going to just pocket these bills, if you're not even giving them a hearing, two can play at that game. And the Senate started to learn very, very quickly that that wasn't going to work. So did they send our bills back to, like, for instance, I had a bill on, called the Born Alive Act. Um, Kathy Byron had a bill that was restricting the Department of Health from sending out, they, they sent out this material to children without their parents' permission. In fact, tried to hide it from their parents. And Kathy had a bill that would restrict their ability to do that. Now, did they send those bills back to Education and Health sub, uh, Committee in the Senate? No, they sent them to the Rules Committee. Because the Rules Committee is the committee, like most of their committees in the Senate are already stacked in favor of Democrats. But the Rules Committee is especially stacked. So they sent our bills back to a committee that doesn't typically hear these bills. And Kathy Byron gets up and she starts talking about the fact that the Department of Health, the Virginia Department of Health, was sending out information and links to children. Right? They had their cell phone number to children, recommending them to go to these various sites, some of them run by Planned Parenthood, where they could get questions answered like... Um, Will my semen taste differently if I eat certain things? That was one of the questions. That was one of the questions that was offered up to these students from these programs that the Virginia Department of Health and Planned Parenthood were providing to them. And they actually put special guidance in there to tell the kids that they could contact them secretly and they didn't need to tell their parents. Who in their right mind thinks that's appropriate? Now, now, keep in mind, when we had a separate bill that said that you can't put sexually explicit material in front of kids without telling their parents first, the Democrats all accused us of book burners. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind when the Democrats are accusing us of banning books when we didn't ban a single book this year, didn't even advocate banning a single book this year. All we said is you have to get parental notification. Keep in mind that the same Democrats that are telling you that that parental notification is just too much we're also the ones encouraging the Virginia Department of Health to push out this information to your child without your knowledge, directing them to sites that was discussing all manner of sexual activity to include the ridiculous thing that I just told you about without parents' knowledge. And the moment we tried to stop it or say, look, a department within the Virginia government should not be doing this, Democrats voted no. But they wanted to at first just not even dock it at all. And if that wasn't bad enough, when I got up to present my bill on the Born Alive Act, which I'll tell you right now, I'm very pro-life, but regardless of how you feel about abortion, this bill didn't prevent, it didn't stop a single abortion. I'm sorry to say. I wish it had, but it didn't. Here's what this bill did. It said that if a child was born despite a failed abortion attempt, that when that baby is sitting there on the table and needs medical care, it is the obligation of the medical professionals that attempted to carry out the abortion to render a reasonable level of medical care or to attempt to get them to a hospital. That's what it's, you got to do that. If you don't do that, that's a crime. Because now you're essentially, you, you, you tried to abort the child, it survived the abortion, now it's sitting there on the table gasping for air, you have to actually provide some medical care. That baby is now your patient. Democrats voted against it. Every single Democrat that was present at that committee, every single Democrat in the Virginia House of Delegates voted against that bill. So the moment they tell you we're the crazy ones on stuff like abortion, just remember, we had a bill that said doctors, 
you are required to provide medical care. That was a bridge too far because Planned Parenthood got up in committee on the video testimony and said that this bill was just divisive and it was trying to stigmatize abortion providers. And that, here was my favorite, they said it was a solution in search of a problem. Now, here's what's so offensive about that particular remark from Planned Parenthood, you know, the organization that cares so much about women, is that right before they made that claim, a woman testified on behalf of my bill and described how she had undergone she had had attempted on her three different saline abortion attempts. Now, a saline abortion is when they actually inject a strong saline solution into the amniotic fluid, and it essentially burns the baby and poisons them to death over about a three-day period. So she endured that as a baby three times and was born alive. And we were saying, look, in that situation, whatever happened before, you've got to provide her medical care because we've had too many cases where somebody endures that, is born alive, and if it wasn't for some nurse breaking protocol and rushing the baby to safety, they would have been left there to die. Or as Kermit Gosnell liked to do, snip their spinal cords after they were born. But Planned Parenthood, after a woman got up and gave a very personal testimony, had the audacity to say that this was a solution in search of a problem. That is how far that organization will go to protect the profit that they make from abortions. So you want to talk about ugly? I can't think of anything more ugly than the Senate trying to bury these bills without even giving them a proper hearing, being embarrassed into bringing them back, having to bring them back to a totally separate committee that had nothing to do with the topic, and then every single Democrat voting against it. So when they tell you that Republicans are being hyperbolic, that we're being extreme, just remember there wasn't a single bill we carried this year that I think could be accurately categorized as just extreme or beyond the pale because we're doing things like, hey, maybe dollars should follow the students when it comes to our education program. Hey, maybe we shouldn't tell people they have to pay the grocery tax amidst all the other taxes they're paying, especially when that's one that hits the poorest the hardest. Hey, you know, maybe we should actually be trying to find ways to reduce and get rid of old bad regulations as opposed to constantly creating new ones. That was the extreme stuff we were doing this year. Maybe, maybe if a baby is born despite a failed abortion, they should get medical care. Oh, that was extreme. Maybe a department of the Virginia government should not be sending out secret text messages to small children, encouraging them to go to websites to discuss sex without their parents' knowledge. Oh, no, no, that was too extreme if you want to shut that down. So just keep this in mind. The same people that might seem just so nice and reasonable when they're sitting there talking to you across the table or discussing their, their plans on the campaign trail, when they get down there, that's how they vote. All right. Now, if you've stuck around this long, you get something special. We're going to go into the bonus round. <coughs> Excuse me. So like I said, we're not fully... We've adjourned uh, CNADA, which is to say that we're kind of done for the year. However, we had to immediately go into special session for the budget. So the big question on the budget is a couple of things. One, um, we need to see, again, how much money is going to be spent and where it's going to be spent. I have a real problem with some of the line items within our budget. I know we don't always agree on, on what's the best way to spend this money. Um, 
there, there are certain conditions upon which I would vote for the budget. For instance, if it has the sufficient tax cuts. Uh, for instance, there was, a, there was another uh, tax relief portion that we tried to put into our budget and the Democrats have been wanting to take away or change. And our attitude has always been like, when you do a tax cut, you do a tax cut for all the people that have been paying taxes. The Democrats say, no, 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 you shouldn't do a tax cut for the people paying taxes. You do a tax cut for you know, the, these people that really need it. That, that's always the argument. And what I come back with is I say, okay, well, wait a second. When you say that a certain group of people are paying taxes, and then you look at the combination of state and federal taxes that they pay, plus you look at the redistribution programs with the state and federal level that they receive, what you end up finding out is, is that whatever they paid in taxes at the state level or at the federal level, okay, they got more than that amount back in redistribution payments. So at that point, they are a net beneficiary of the tax system. They're not actually paying more taxes than they're getting back in government benefits. Now, I, I'm, not making the, I'm not making the argument right now about whether or not that's good or bad or whatnot. What I'm saying is, is that when you're gonna look at how much someone pays in taxes, you also have to look at how much do they get back in government benefits programs. And if they get more back in government benefits programs than they paid in taxes, they are not a net taxpayer. That's not me being mean, that's just a statement of fact. The point that we have routinely made is that once you add up both of those numbers, what someone pays in taxes plus once they get back into benefits, if they get more in benefits than they pay in taxes, then when you do a tax cut, okay, they're not getting a tax cut, they're getting additional government benefits. Tax cuts can only, uh, for, the, for the word tax cut, for the term tax cut to mean anything, it has to go to someone that actually pays more in taxes than they actually get in government benefits. And so that's generally how we've targeted tax cuts. Again, there's going to be millions upon millions of dollars spent to help people do everything from feed their kids to pay their rent to get access to health care. Like all that money's already spent. What we're saying is that on top of that, when we have a tax cut, it has to go to the people that actually pay more in taxes to the government than they get back in government benefits. I don't think that's unreasonable, but every time we talk about it, we're told that we're enemies of the poor. So we're still going to have a fight over tax relief within the budget. And then finally, this is, a, this is kind of a, a niche issue, but I want to address it. SB 591 by Senator Emmett Hanger. And this was a bill to try to address some of the problems with Delta 8, which is part of the whole marijuana legalization. Delta 8 is a synthetic. Um, it's being put in a lot of things like gummies and other things where people might not necessarily expect it to be there. Uh, you have kids getting a hold of it. it it's, it's problematic. And everyone kind of agreed that, okay, there's a problem with Delta 8 that we've, we've got to address, right? Almost everybody agreed on that. But the problem was SB 591 was passed and all of a sudden it was like taking a nuclear missile to a problem that required a scalpel. And so a lot of people within the CBD industry, within the hemp industry, that had nothing to do with these synthetics, all of a sudden they're getting caught up in that. So I've been working with the governor's office to get an amendment to come down on that bill so that we can address the things that the bill originally wanted to address while at the same time ensuring that we're not taking, again, a nuke to a problem that really the, uh, uh, needs a scalpel and then hurting all these other people. Like we don't need our, our hemp industry to be the collateral damage of this bill. So we're still working on that. These are some of the things that are still ongoing that will take place both within the budget negotiations and then ultimately with the reconvened session, which will take place April 27th. So that is a once over the world of the good, the bad, and the ugly, this last General Assembly session. Here's what I'll say. 
There's a lot of areas where I think Republicans delivered to the degree that we could, which is to say, we can introduce the bill, we can pass the bill in the House, right? We cannot change whether or not Democrats in the Senate will vote for it. We certainly made that attempt. We certainly tried to get things through. There were certain things they would not budge on. The governor has already pledged to sign this legislation. All right, now there are things we can do better. We need to do a better job with education savings accounts next year. All right, there was, there was basically five different bills with education savings account. My hope is, is that next year, we're gonna go on there with one really good bill. Uh, Delegate Phil Scott had a great bill. I think that's probably a really good model to work with. We need to show up again with some of the other, you know, pro-liberty uh, tax reform, you know, regulatory reform legislation that we created this year that didn't pass the Senate. We need to be able to show up with that again. And then again, the, the big question is, is in two years, if we can get a Republican Senate, here, here's what I'll say. Because I know there's some people that was frustrated with how things went this year. And obviously there's, there's differences of opinion on strategy when you only control one chamber in the General Assembly. Um, but I think our, our big goal is to make sure that we're delivering our promises, that we're showing people that when you put us in charge, we will govern the way that we told you we would. If we take back the Senate in two years, I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now, I don't wanna hear any excuses from Republicans that we can't get the legislation passed. So that's gonna be the thing to watch. But again, thank you very much for, you know, Sticking with us this General Assembly session, thank you very much for the prayers you sent up. Thank you very much for coming down and visiting. We will continue to fight in order to preserve individual liberty, to preserve your property rights. Once again, thank you for joining us on this episode of Making the Argument, and we'll see you next time. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick. And once again, thank you for listening.